Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, a show that's by sports PTs and for sports PT professionals. We're here to accelerate growth in your sports PT career while giving you the tools to provide your athletes with game-changing results. Here's your host, sports physical therapist and practice owner, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. Thank you so much for tuning into the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. Today's conversation with Race Hauser was really enlightening. Race is about to most likely become OCS certified as he just completed his his board examination, but he is one of the more impressive strength coaches that has now merged into the rehab game. He's going to enlighten you on strength and conditioning principles in ACL rehabilitation. That's something we see more of than anything else at True Sports Physical Therapy. Um, He's going to go into how to coach and how to teach posterior chain and quad dominant exercises, and he's going to look at it in two different populations, one population as the highly trained, one with a very novice or young training age um, inside the weight room. Um, And we're also going to get into how to teach and progress plyometric activities, something that I think is sorely lacking um, inside the, the rehab world. Race does a great job of breaking it down, making it really simple to understand, and then take that knowledge to your patient base as soon as tomorrow. So he really does a great job. Um, had an, had a great time having this conversation and learning from race. Um, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Race Hauser. Join great sports PTs, just like race Hauser. Please feel free to send us your resume, send us a cover letter. You can find us at true sports PT on Instagram. My personal email is Yoni Y O N I at true sports PT.com. I always want feedback. I always want to know who you want to hear from. I want to know how we can do this podcast better so we can make your career better and get better outcomes from our patients and our athletes. And of course, if you want to join us and continue to learn, please like share And if you want to work with us, send us your resume and your cover letter. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. We got Race Hauser with us, True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. We're going to get into a whole bunch. But before we do, and before we talk specifically about strength coaching and the way you weave that into your sports PT practice, tell us about Race Hauser and how you got all the way from Eastern Oregon to Baltimore, Maryland. So I uh, did my undergrad at Pacific University. It's a small D3 school, um, kind of by the Portland area. Was fortunate enough to play four collegiate sports there. We'll save that for a different day. Um, but Four collegiate sports? Four. What were they? Uh, football, basketball, golf, swim. How many kids went to the school? Four? <laughs> uh, 1,800. 1,800, and you're the best athlete on campus. Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. You. <laughs> As it pertains to hopefully <laughs> athletics, um, you are. What does that make you, Jim Thorpe? Does that make you Bo Jackson? Does that make you Deion Sanders? Does that? Uh, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Yeah. How's your hip? Uh, good. I'm. I feel like I'm as strong as Bo Jackson in a way, or comparatively speaking. I like that. Okay. Um. Anyway. Okay. You play a million sports in college. Mm-hmm. Um. Then what happens? Uh, graduate, uh, bachelor's of science, uh, twenty eighteen. Go immediately into PT school at Pacific University. Graduate twenty twenty one. 
From there, I applied to a handful of different orthopedic residencies. Uh, I got waitlisted for some, got denied for some, ultimately ended up at University of Maryland um, for their orthopedic residency. It was their second cohort. Um, fortunately, as soon as we started, we had heard they got accredited, which was nice. And then you took it. that acceptance not knowing that they were accredited. Yep. Why would you do that? Um, I knew orthopedic residency was something that was super important to me. And I know with really any sort of newer program, you're taking a little bit of a risk. Um, and it was a risk I was willing to take. Um, fortunately, it worked out in my favor. I finished that up September 2022. And then um, was kind of perusing a bunch of different kind of sports ortho clinics kind of around the area and happened to find a really good uh, fit with True Sports. Glad you brought that up. Um, why was it a good fit for you? Um, I just remember uh, when I had my in-person kind of informal interview with Andrew, like we hit it off really well. We just messed really well together. Um, just that conversation we had, um, it felt like he really valued what I had to offer. And I also valued kind of the company aspect in terms of essentially they're going to allow you to grow in whichever, whichever way you kind of want to see fit and can also help push the company forward as well. Yeah, and and you've done incredible things pushing the company forward. It's been it's been awesome to watch. Um, first thing you did was give us this awesome backdrop to record this podcast. So I really appreciate that. Hopefully everyone's watching um, a video of this, or or may, maybe hopefully not. But that that's definitely true in terms of what we try to do at True Sports is give you a ladder and grow and pull the company along with you. Um, let me put you on the spot. What do you want to change about True Sports? Um. Uh, more involvement in Journal Club. <laughs> okay. So, Ray's founded our Journal Club, um, and it has been fascinating since he started it. Um, okay. That. What else you got? Um, so, I know it's kind of been in the works a little bit about being affiliated with certain residency programs and potentially getting a, a True Sports residency up and going. Um, I think True Sports would be a great fit for that, and I think if we can make that happen um, and potentially even be a part of that, that'd be... Uh, pretty cool to be part of that awesome i'll put that on your goals to to crush um i i think you'd be awesome at that you mentioned andrew that's dr andrew livingston who had followed a very similar path to you in terms of going through a residency coming to a nascent um sports pt business and practice and growing it like crazy and and finding avenues to grow so i love that i love supporting that um and i appreciate your feedback in terms of making it a better place to work making it a better place to rehab you've definitely done that for your patients um and your athletes if i as i've watched both up close and from afar tell us about how you weave your strength and conditioning background into the way you treat and how important that is to you and then how do you make sure that the best of those talents shine through in your in this rehab setting um so i think the big thing is uh having worked with so uh current strength conditioning uh coach for the pacific university baseball team and softball team you are yeah fifth year working with them um and how, then how do you do that because you live in maryland fortunately i can do everything remotely through a uh, team builder cool um definitely makes trying to do assessments and those things a little bit tricky um, now that's another podcast. Yeah. How do you do that remotely? Okay, we'll get there. Um, and then also this uh, current spring season just took over uh, Eastern Oregon University baseball team as well for their strength and conditioning. Division one program? Uh, NAIA. NAIA, uh, we're the real studs. Go yeah. to play baseball. Um, 
Okay. And so you're handling all that remotely. And so that's you being a strength coach. How do you pull that strength and conditioning aspect into your physical therapy day to day? So I think one thing, having been on the coaching side of things, having, you know, going through workouts myself, kind of have a good idea in terms of volume, dosage, what sorts of exercises are going to give me the best bang for my buck for what sort of adaptations I want to end up achieving. Um, so from there, we're just trying to meet the athlete with where they're at. So whatever information we gather during the evaluation process, I have an idea of kind of what sorts of things they can tolerate from a strength standpoint, uh, rate of force development standpoint. Then from there, it's like, okay, I see these deficits here. I'm going to treat these deficits with, uh, let's say it's a uh, quad strength. I have all these different avenues to strengthen the quad, whether it's open chain, closed chain, uh, connect chain. And then from there, it's just, all right, what's going to give me the best bang for my buck? I'm going to do a squat probably. I'm going to do uh, leg extensions, and then I'm probably going to do some unilateral loaded stuff with uh, lunges or Bulgarian split squats. I hate that I'm going to use this term, but it's all about the tools you have in your toolbox, yes. right? That I hated that during grad school here and that crap. But it, it really sounds like that's what it is. It's like, here's my goal, mm-hmm. and here are the tools I can use to fix it and address it. Now, you bring up rate of force development. I want to dig into that because I think that's such a, a, a gap mm-hmm. in the education of the PT. Mm-hmm. versus the strength coach, lucky for True Sports and the patients at True Sports, you are both. Um, so you're going to educate us on that, and we'll dive right into that. Um, before we do that, tell me how you keep your scalp so clean. Scalp so clean. Uh, first, I want to give a, spa- or a shout out to uh, Gillette ProGlide. Okay, um, you're a ProGlide guy. And uh, Barbasol as well, so hopefully they can give us a sponsor um, for the podcast. I love that. Um but once a week, just Saturdays. Once a week. Once a week. Because I spoke to your one of your mentors here, Dr. Andrew Livingston. He's like, dude, Ray shaves his head every day because it's always shiny. No, you get to like... Once a week. Once a week. Okay. Let me... If you're a ProGlide guy, I want you to look into a company called Supply. Okay. It's a life changer. And so they have different blades, but it's a safety blade. Mm-hmm. You cannot cut yourself. I've tried. <laughs> I'm an every other day guy. Also, I've gone to, I'm getting away from the aerosols. They make me nervous. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not using the, the brush yet. Not using the brush yet. Because you're young. I'm sure I'll get to there. You look like me, but you're much younger um, than me. <laughs> I'll have to look into the supply. Yeah. Oh, it's a life changer. I want those guys to sponsor this pod because they're not cheap. Um, okay. So thank you so much for enlightening <laughs> us on your hair care, or as I call it, scalp care. Um, let's dig in clinically speaking. Um, cause you did an awesome job of kind of working through as we prepped for the pod of, of giving me a couple examples where you've really had to use your strength and conditioning background, mm-hmm. uh, your education, possibly more importantly, your emotional intelligence, like your ability to meet that patient mm-hmm. where they are. Um, and, and one of the examples you, you came up with was looking at, um, a case post-op ACL, um, and really two different populations, same demographics, but the difference in the populations is their training age. Mm -hmm. Um, so walk us through the case, give us the pertinent details, and then I'm going to hammer you with questions as to the differences. All right. So we're going to take two individuals here. Um, both of them are going to be 16 year old females, lacrosse players, um, recovering from ACL reconstruction. Um, we're going to say they're 16 weeks post-op, um, have a bone, patellar tendon bone graft, and no other concomitant uh, injury or procedure. Um, one of the girls has been doing sports performance training consistently since she was 11 years old. Um, the other has no training history or experience. 
Um, so when we start to look at the ways in which we want to strengthen uh, this individual, let's say their hamstrings, um, I know that person who has the training history of about... Before we get into hammy. Okay. Range of motions, money. Yep. Right? Everything looks really yep. good there. Uh, anterior knee pain? Min. Minimal. Min. Okay. Uh, to be expected. It, mm -hmm. it kills me when people are like, nope, no pain. Because th there's always something there yeah. when you rip out the middle yeah. of that um, patellar tendon. So an expected amount of pain. Um, any other factors that would change or slow my progression? I'm just thinking. Um, no, they're, they're doing pretty good. Okay, so and, and what have they done to date in rehab? Uh, I mean, we've done all of our, uh, you know, we've normalized gait mechanics. Um, we've tried getting or made sure we get our extension back, um, making sure we're doing our due diligence, making sure we get that quad symmetry up um, as quick as we can. Um, trying to control joint fusion, joint pain. Um, and then from there, it's just progressing load as they can tolerate. Cool. Okay. So now we're in the loading portion. Now we're in the strength gaining mm -hmm. portion, right? Yeah. For t is, have they run? Uh, have not run yet. We'll say they have not run. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Great. Great clinical picture. Shoot. What's the difference between the way you're going to address these? Cause your goal for, for today's session is posterior chain mm -hmm. loading. Go ahead. Okay. So for the girl who does not have a training history, I want to give her a single leg RDL. I most likely this person's not going to be able to get any sort of meaningful load into the hamstrings just because they don't have the requisite skill to perform a single leg RDL. Um, so for me, it's not going to be the best bang for my buck to essentially get strength in the hamstrings. Not to say it's a bad intervention. I'm not going to include it, but just understanding what the limitations are of said exercise. Um, so I think to better target the desired tissue, in this case the hamstrings, uh, we need to try to modify it in a way... Uh, so we can actually get the stimulus to the hamstring. So uh, a couple modifications here. One's going to be do like a single leg hamstring bridge, either with the foot elevated or the shoulder and foot elevated on a bench. Um, the other option would be to do like a single leg uh, seated hamstring curl. Um, both of these are going to be uh, targeting the hamstrings in a more lengthened position, which is kind of the goal I want. Um, I like option number one better because it's going to be similar to that of the single leg RDL being more hip dominant. I'm likely going to develop uh, kind of kinesthetic awareness to help with more of that sort of horizontal pelvic translation or translation during uh, like the bridge that can help transfer that to the single leg RDL. I love I love that the way you put that the the horizontal translation mm -hmm. of the pelvis I think is such a unique way to look at that movement pattern. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this: Are you trying an RDL with this girl? I mean, I assume you've tried it at some point over the previous mm -hmm. four months. You know she sucks at it. Mm -hmm. Do you even try to introduce it at the beginning of the session and wait for her to fail? Or are you just like, hey, we're going to single leg bridge? Um, so maybe it's where we're doing something where we're pairing the exercise together. Um, one, I'm working on the skill aspect of like learning the skill for the single leg RDL. I'm going to pair that with an exercise that's going to be more output-based, which in this case is going to be our single leg uh, seem like bridge here. Tell me what output based means. Um, I'm thinking more from like a stimulus perspective, like it's going to be a stimulus where I can actually achieve a desired adaptation versus with, uh, the skill movement. I'm thinking I'm not getting, um, any sort of like physiological adaptation, like strength or hypertrophy. Good call. And I've struggled with this, um, previously where it's like, I, ju I just want to do an RDL mm -hmm. and like, I'm trying to get this athlete to do an RDL single leg RDL. Mm -hmm. And it's, they'll do a set and I'm like, Hey, where do you feel? And they're like, uh, my foot. 
Like, yep. ugh, right? So, um, so from an from an output perspective, you want them to rapidly feel that in the desired muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in this case, that's your hammy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you go to that single leg bridge, mm-hmm. um, and how are you? What's your first attempt at the single leg bridge? Like, what is your setup? Uh, <clears throat> I've been really using, or been really liking using like an eighteen inch box to elevate. At least to work through uh, a little bit more range of motion compared to using the ground, because um, I feel like at that point we're kind of already starting in a more shortened position with the hamstring. Um, so I feel like we at least have a little bit more room to move into hip extension, starting with the uh, the foot elevated. Um, if they can uh, tolerate it, uh, I would like to uh, have them eventually get to the point where we're doing uh, the shoulder elevated as well, just because I'm going to get more hip excursion versus uh, having the ground as a limiting factor there or horizontal mm-hmm. translation, yeah. if you will. Um, okay. Awesome. What's your knee angle? Knee angle. Um, I'll de- it depends for the long lever. I'm going to have probably between 30 to 60 degrees. If I go more short lever, I'm typically in 90 degrees of knee flexion. Okay. See, see, I'm thinking shallower. If you're mm-hmm. trying to replicate RDL, mm-hmm. do you want to live in that zero to 30? That's where my head mm-hmm. went. Yeah. Is there I'm, a reason you wouldn't? I'm typically like, if I'm going like more uh, specific to like the RDL, I'm thinking more of the 30 degrees roughly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're living out there yeah. now. Why are you pairing this with a seated knee flexion? Did mm-hmm. you say that? Uh, so pairing the single leg RDL with the single leg bridge. I'd say why you got your single leg bridge. Yeah. And then I thought you you'd mentioned the seated knee flexion. So let's say for whatever reason, um, all they're feeling is their low back working um, with the single leg bridge. I hate that. Um, I'm like, I'd rather him feel that in their hamstrings. Um, so instead, I know with the seated uh, hamstring curl, it's going to be the lowest skill movement here. I know all I have to do is just bend and straighten their knee, and it's going to be super easy for me to set up, super easy for them to perform. I know if I dose it appropriately, they're going to get some sort of strengthening benefit out of it. What's your dose when you say appropriately? Um, really, it doesn't matter the set and rep scheme as long as we're getting to a, a RPE of, you know, seven to eight or above, making sure we, you know, our reps in reserve are maybe three to between failure somewhere in there. Okay. Um, now, I know you're not using that language mm-hmm. when you talk to your 16-year-old. So how do you get that information from mm-hmm. your 16-year-old? Um, typically, I want them to go until they get like a, a moderate sort of burn in their muscles. I feel like that's probably the best way. Um once they start to develop a training age, I think they start to understand what kind of, you know, how many reps they have left in the tank. But at this point, it's like moderate fatigue, moderate sort of burn in their the desired muscle. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense because because then you're you're meeting your patient where they mm-hmm. are, right? You've already yeah. you've had four months to develop a rapport, mm-hmm. so they know a little bit about the way Race Hauser likes to train, mm-hmm. and so they they know what you're looking for. Um, so I can definitely appreciate that now as you if you don't have a seated knee flexion as many clinics don't what other ideas you got um so we have a cable column that we use to uh, hook up people to it's a a kaiser machine that's pneumatic resistance super easy for us to put the resistance to zero get everything set up increase the resistance and have them go at it Um, i think that's an easy way Uh, the other option if clinics don't have that is just using manual resistance okay Um, and, and you're just meeting them throughout the motion. Yeah. And okay. I can match kind of their strength output throughout the movement um, to better kind of match their sort of, uh, you know, whether it's fatigue that's starting to play and I can better match that. Um, I don't like bands necessarily per se, just because I think most clinics, uh, their therapy bands that they use don't have enough resistance to essentially 
achieve any sort of stimulus. So I think manual resistance tends to be better. Okay. Okay. So, so that makes a lot of sense in, in terms of some options. Any other options to hit that hammy? Um, depending on what they have, we can use uh, like sliders. Um, if they have like a Sornex roller, um, foam rollers, I think those are some options that we have as well. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, I, I know very often, like getting the athlete into that supine position, having them doing the single leg bridge, even with a deeper knee flexion, if you give them that unstable surface that they got to pin down, mm -hmm. right? Like that forces that hamstring yeah. to really prevent that translation of tib mm -hmm. coming out. Mm -hmm. um, I know that can be helpful. You ever use electric stim here? Uh, I have been using some NMES on the hamstrings. Okay, so educate us on why you're doing that and what the effect is. Um, so I've actually been using it more for range of motion purposes because I've had some people who have struggled with uh, knee flexion. Um, I'll mob them. We'll get some benefit, but it seems like when we have the hamstring kick on with knee flexion, um, especially with uh, extra burst with the NMES, it seems like that kind of helps with the arthrokinematics of getting them uh, through like deeper ranges of flexion. So that's been my primary goal for using NMES as of late. Um, that's that, in this population? Is that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you're talking about mobbing the knee um, and driving the tibia. What are you doing? Are you driving tibia posteriorly? Posteriorly, yeah. Okay. And what are you doing with superior hand? Uh, typically stabilizing like distal uh, femur there. Okay, cool. Um, a lot of times I will combine my posterior tib glide with an inferior patellar mm -hmm. mob. So that's what my superior hand is doing. But do you have any reservation about ripping on someone's joint when they have a new ligament in there? Uh, or a tendon becoming a ligament? It'll depend on what graft they have. Um, like if they're a cadaver graft, I'm going to be less likely to just because of the cervical fixation. But if it's bone patellar tendon bone with the the bony anchors, I'm uh, not quite as worried about that. I wonder if I'm wrong about what I'm about to say, but I have no reservation about mm -hmm. that. I just yeah. feel like that, I don't know anyone that has torn their ACL mid-mobilization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you? You read a lot more literature than me. Um, <laughs> and I mean, all the research that we have in terms of strain on the ACL graft. It's not happening. Yes. So like walking is the most like stressful thing that we do when we've looked at research. Okay. So... That ties into definitely a, a previous conversation I've had with Dr. West, see episode, I don't know, 11 or something. Um, when when we just we talked about this, this antiquated look at what is stressing the graft, mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it's joint mobs. No. So my answer would be, no, I don't give a damn. Mm -hmm. um, I'm mobbing the hell out yeah. of that thing, if I think it's going to help. Yeah. Um, I love your use of electric stim in that. Where do you get that? Where do you get that idea? Uh, it was just something... Uh with someone who I've worked with, uh, it was like we weren't really getting any sort of, you know, much improvement in terms of knee flexion. I was like, well, shoot, let's just throw it on the uh, on the hamstrings. It was more initially for a strengthening intervention, but then as we were, like, going through it, I'm like, shoot, we're getting to, like, 130, 135, where we were only able to get to 120. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's awesome and eye-opening. Um, maybe it's reciprocal inhibition, mm -hmm. right? Maybe yeah. it's shutting down quad. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe it's waking up that hamstring in that deeper range yeah. so that you can get that active range. Who knows? Probably a combination of both is my probably, guess. Probably a combination of both, um, for sure. Um, I love the idea of doing it early, right? Mm -hmm. for, I mean, I, I think you're, you're talking about, we wouldn't use that 
now to get range because mm-hmm. her range better yeah. already be there. But great idea to do it early mm-hmm. um, to, to really help gain that range of motion. I've even seen um, benefit from using it as like a gate theory, yeah. almost like old school PTs would just leave their patients on stim, right, to start, mm-hmm. which in actuality was just so they could juggle other patients. But to leave that stim on while you're mobbing them at low levels to really block that yeah. painful stimuli, um, I've seen to be worthwhile. I haven't done that in a mm-hmm. minute. Maybe I'll get back into that. Um, this will be a little bit off topic, but in terms of uh, quadriceps AMI, uh, I've seen some stuff where they'll, it's called like hamstring fatigue where they. What's AMI? Uh, arthrogenic muscle inhibition. Um, since the quad, shu- quad is shut off. Okay. Um, and in terms of helping to that, uh, to get that back on, we can use what's called a hamstring fatigue, Love it. which essentially post-op ACL, we have the H reflex, which essentially the hamstring is just a little bit more tonic. Um, so if we fatigue, it maybe alters some like membrane potentials. Maybe now it can't quite have that same sort of contraction. Um, and maybe that now gives us uh, better access to the quadriceps, kind of like uh, reciprocal inhibition. Exactly. And so th- that is an awesome use of some of these party tricks that I picked up in grad mm-hmm. school. Like, uh, we kind of learned them for manual therapy purposes. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome use of understanding your neuromuscular mm-hmm. system and using it to your advantage. Yeah. What's your desired effect? Your desired effect is to increase your quad mm-hmm. recruitment so you can load it, so mm-hmm. you can do whatever. Uh, take some pressure off that tendon, mm-hmm. possibly. Use whatever you got, um, I think, is the, the lesson I, I really take away from that. So, okay, so when you have, let's jump back to our case. So you have um, this 16-year-old, low training age. Um, so now you've come up with a few different ways to load that hamstring. Mm-hmm. How do you gauge whether this training age is increasing? Mm-hmm. so that you can get back to the point of doing your desired higher level lift. So I think it comes back to when we're teaching the single leg RDL, I'm probably going to provide some constraints to that movement. Um, maybe it's uh, we have like a one foot on the ground, one foot on the wall, so not true uh, single leg, um, but we're still in a kind of asymmetrical bias stance. Dude, I love that because... We hammer that in our forthcoming mm-hmm. True Sports ACL course. I, I mean, just th- the way to progress that posterior mm-hmm. chain load. So, so that's awesome to hear. Okay, so you put the foot on the wall, mm-hmm. and I feel like that gives them con or uh, another form of like ground contact in a way um, to help with uh, kind of kinesthetic awareness. They're close to the wall, which I want them to push their rear end back towards the wall there horizontally. Um, I think most time it gets taught where we're just kind of just bending forward versus the bending forward happening as a result of the horizontal translation. Which way? A horizontal pelvic translation towards the wall. Which would be posterior, posterior yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and that's getting your posterior chain taut. Yeah. And you need that sucker taut because otherwise stuff's going to start collapsing and now we're in the L-spine, mm-hmm. right? Now we're in the T-spine, yeah. whatever. Um, so I think that's a great cue. I always say try to, like you're closing your car door with your ass, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like just shoot that thing yep. back um, to try to load it. Um, and, and you're taking away, you use the term constraints. Mm-hmm. That's how I know you're a strength yeah. coach. Um, but you're taking away these other things that the patient has to struggle through, which is balance, mm-hmm. stability. Other thing I like to use is put a dowel in front. I'll put it kind of like midfoot ish area and have it in front. So their shoulder has to travel down the front of the dowel without it tipping forward. Um, cause if they are tipping that dowel forward, I know they're not getting that full translation posteriorly with their pelvis. Yeah. I love that. Okay. That's awesome. Um, and so all of that should light up hammy, mm-hmm. glute, 
Um, where do you, any, any other tidbits there on, on how you want to teach that thing? Cause this is something I've definitely struggled with in my career and I'm sure people listening struggle teaching this. Um, I also find that maybe having a little bit more pressure posteriorly in the heel tends to help a little bit better. Um, so those are typically kind of my go-tos in terms of like what they're feeling, what they're doing, constraints I end up using. Um, I know some people will use, uh, like a wedge and they'll reverse it. So it's on like the forefoot. Mm-hmm. I'm a little skeptical if that's truly getting what we want. Like, are we just then more tensioning like the sciatic nerve and some of the neural structures versus actually getting the desired effect of like more load through yeah. the hamstring? I'm sure that's patient dependent. That mm-hmm. sounds very unstable, yeah. like, like tough to control. Yeah. Um, the, another thing that I like to do is put a band up above the knees mm-hmm. through that move. Or, or sometimes I'll add, like put a foot on the wall, band up above the knees, just find your hinge. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. the hinge just doesn't get taught, stressed. It, it's a tough thing to, mm-hmm. to teach, but I, I've seen higher level athletes in their 30s who just can't yeah. hinge. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, well, I've been deadlifting. I'm like, okay, let me, like, how are you deadlifting? Well, I'm a big hex bar guy. Okay, like, well, that's a hex bar squat. Yeah. That's not a hex bar dead. And so thinking about ways to incorporate that when you talk about training age, that is something that I would love to see. That's how it gr- almost grade their training mm-hmm. age from the one who's been training since 11, th- they should have that hinge. Yep. And, yep. Th- and then uh, you could load the crap mm-hmm. out of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, your 16-year-old that has a high training age, you give them the RDL. Mm-hmm. They smash it. How are you progressing it? Progressing it, uh, we can go uh, just overall more weight on the bar. Um, I tend to, and this is... I'm going to be more biased towards using barbells, especially as an athlete gets uh, stronger, just because for most people, like dumbbells are going to top out at 100 pounds. Um, In this case, I don't imagine this particular individual is going to struggle with that. So um, I'm fine with using dumbbells or barbell. I like the barbell because at least gives me contact uh, for like lat engagement as the bar kind of travels down the tibia. Um, So if I keep kind of light pressure with that uh, bar in the tibia, I know I'm getting some Latin game engagement for a little bit better uh, kind of lumbar stability there. Yeah, awesome. And, and again, like making that whole thing taut, mm-hmm. um, I think is important. Sometimes I'll put bands pulling anteriorly, like light bands yeah. that those lats have to engage mm-hmm. against. I, I've seen that begin to work, that posterior mm-hmm. chain on athletes that are like, oh, I've yeah. never felt that. Um, so maybe there's, you know, maybe there's something there. Okay, so that's your posterior chain world that's the way you would handle someone who can't do Mm -hmm. your rdl your single leg rdl for sure um and ways to progress any other tidbits on that that you think is worthwhile to this audience that is just Um, soaking up some other things we can consider you mentioned using the bands around the knees uh go band around the hip to help with pulling the pelvis posteriorly um i've also tried doing like uh cable pull throughs um but I hate those. Dude. Some, I'm not a big fan. Um, they're just tough. They look weird, but each, they're tough. Each individual, I mean, they're unique in ways that you have to come up with strategies to help them learn the hinge. Some people soak that uh, the cable pull through up really well. Some it just turns into more of like a Jefferson curl. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, you just have to have kind of multiple strategies. Um, Thank you for not using the toolbox. Yeah, <laughs> to, to use. Um, because you never know which strategy you're going to have to use for which individual. Yeah, yeah. But but certainly worthwhile. I also like your use of 
sliders mm -hmm. that you mentioned, right? And, and so, because it gives you just more of the ability to cue, to pull, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. pull into that thing. Also, um, keep in mind, and why don't you educate us on what does your warm up look like for this session? Uh, so we're 16 weeks. I would say we're probably doing some sort of like extensive plyometric warm up at this point. Um, doing some pogos. Um, I have to do some sort of like hip stability kind of warm up as well. And then from there, um, you know, if my main goal is the, the single leg RDL is like my main sort of thing I want to get after, or at least hamstring loading is the main thing I want to get after. Um, then let's hop into the skill piece. We're going to pair that with our output and then we're going to have some of our accessories, whether that's you know, more glute max, glute med, um, some open connect chain quad loading, maybe we get into some squatting pattern stuff or uh, lunge split squat stuff. Um, no, that's your session or that's your warm up? That's your session. Yeah. yeah. That's your session. Yeah. Okay. Um, stuff that I like to, if I know I'm trying to attack that posterior mm -hmm. chain, are some of those isometric mm -hmm. holds. Uh, yeah. um, some of, like, how do I put them in a position to really feel their ham? Mm -hmm. If, if that's my target. Yeah. So that would include either those ISO holds. I, I like the idea of uh, prone ISO holds mm -hmm. for knee flexion. Yeah. Just make sure that that hammy kicks on. Mm -hmm. We know we see, like if I had a nickel for every time I had a patient like freak out in a cramp, yeah. like when you're testing their hamstring stretch and prone, right? So that's a great way yeah. to, to start to kick mm -hmm. those suckers on um, and prepare for that session. Now, if we're going some plyo work, right? Like if I think that's gonna be a piece of the session or the first thing that I do in the session, then I think my skips there are really important. Mm -hmm. I think like really understanding what a good B skip is yeah. <laughs> and, and like how I pull down yeah. and generate force um, rapidly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a plyometric, right? Yeah. Well, I think most people, when they teach the B skip, it's more just like, I'll just kick your leg out and that's kind of where it starts and ends. It is hard to do an athletic looking B skip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, and are you good at those? Uh, I'm probably okay. I'm probably better than some, but not the best worse than others um best b skip i ever saw was dr tim mahan his b skip was magical and i think that's how he became the director of player performance at rutgers university from his b skip it's really impressive but a, a great hamstring recruiter um if taught properly okay so walk us through another awesome scenario from which we can learn um how to adjust a given session to meet our patient in this presentation? Um, that was such a long question. Let me rephrase that. Ready? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say we have these same two athletes, but now you want to go over a squat mm -hmm. load or a quad load mm -hmm. session. How will you address those patients? Should we edit that part out? Or <laughs> keep it in? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, Big thing I'm thinking of with squat is, uh, so we had our, our hip hinge, which is our posterior pelvic translation uh, horizontally. I'm thinking squat, I want more vertical translation of the pelvis or more vertical pelvic displacement here. Um, I want to try to maintain a more relative vertical torso um, and try to maintain kind of whole foot pressure throughout the movement. Um, so let's say the, the individual who does not have that training age um, when she squats, she maintains kind of a vertical torso, but center of pressure moves forward to the forefoot. Um, and essentially kind of resembles what a sissy squat would end up looking like. Um, so at that point, we're not getting the desired uh, effect I want. Like we're still loading quad, but it's not the way in which I want it to. Like I want her to, to do a squat. Um, 
And part of the reason that she might not be able to is one, just from like a mental representation standpoint, like an archetype, she doesn't have that sort of motor representation kind of built in. Um, so I think this is where machines start to really come into play because they can help really constrain the movement. Okay, so so her fault, mm-hmm. her movement fault, as it, what does it look like with the sissy squat? Um, so essentially, you've seen like the sissy squat where like the they come up onto like the ball of their foot and kind of like go really far forward. Mm-hmm. Something similar to that, but not to the uh, that extreme. Okay, but but and and what's her torso doing? Is her torso staying torso up? Torso straight, but okay. coming up onto the balls of her foot while she squats, maybe going like a quarter of the way down, and it's just not. Like, I'd rather train that quad through more of a full range of motion. For sure. Well, now, before we get to how you would train it, mm-hmm. uh, I know you referenced or hinted at some machine use here. Um, what movement faults usually create that? Um, could be uh, a lack of dorsiflexion mobility, potentially. Yep. Um, potentially, it could be that the quads are weak. So, essentially, once I get to that, that point there, it's like, oh, I don't want to go any further down. I don't want to work through any more knee flexion. I'm going to get out of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this is a great opportunity to say they're missing dorsiflexion. Mm-hmm. Here's your homework, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Here's how you restore dorsiflexion. Yep. I'm not going to spend time in the clinic doing that because mm-hmm. I got to load your quad. Yeah. Um, you got to come up with exactly what the problem is with their dorsiflexion. Mm-hmm. Is it motor learning? Mm-hmm. Is it gastroc is it solely what is it right let's figure it out um i think that's like your higher level sports mm-hmm. pt where yeah. you can get them working for you so that your next session mm-hmm. is even better but okay so you want to just her squat looks like trash because of the way you described mm-hmm. so you still got to get quad load and mm-hmm. so you want to go to machines yeah oh. so i like the machines because they're going to constrain the movement so the hack squat would be my go-to example here where um the mat's going to help me keep that vertical torso. Um, it's going to be fixed on a path where that's going to help with the vertical translation. And then we have the platform where I can help maintain whole foot pressure, just adjust the foot placement on the the, uh, the pad there, and we're ready to go. Um, Before you go there, do you try to coach them out? How do you try to coach them out or in to the desired motion? Um, sometimes it might just be um, you know, using a heel wedge. Um, using like an anterior load, maybe that will kind of help get me the desired t- uh, response I want. Whether um, so, essentially with the the heel wedge, we're getting are able to access more relative dorsiflexion, or uh, yeah, more relative dorsiflexion. Um, and the anterior load is going to kind of help shift my center of like mass backwards a little bit more. Um, and if they end up uh, leaning horizontally with their trunk, they're just going to dump the weight because it's in the front of their body. Um, so I think that's easy way to try to at least try to constrain it to where I don't have to use too many cues. Um, cause I think if we start giving them all these verbal cues that they have to focus on, uh, the less they can focus on one of those individual cues specifically. Yeah, for sure. How mm-hmm. about turning their, their toes or actually rotating their hips out? Yeah. I'll play with stance width. I'll play with, uh, a toe out angle, um, just to see what sort of response we get there. Um, maybe it's a hip mobility issue that we're running into and maybe we just kind of play around with the stance and stuff and then maybe that gives us better access to certain positions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this is also another opportunity to try electric stem. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. let, let's see if let's see if increasing your quad activation mm-hmm. supports mm-hmm. your knee. Maybe it's a pain-limited mm-hmm. response, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that a lot with patellofemoral syndrome yeah. where patients just like won't get into it until we pop stem on it. Or even BFR, mm-hmm. I've seen, because we know it's increasing activation yeah. levels, right? So... Maybe that's doing a better job supporting the patella, but um, all good ideas there. Now, if you don't have a hack squat, what are you doing? Uh, probably going to go with a goblet squat, um, like Zercher squats, front squats. 
Um, I'm probably not going to have them in a front rack position, but probably like that cross arm grip. You sound like the front squat doc. Front squat doc. Front squat doc um, on Instagram. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, All good ideas. Um, And so this is a 16-year-old girl. She's probably got some coordination, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What if this is a 45-year-old sedentary Mm -hmm. desk jockey? Any other solutions that you might go to that are simpler to get to that squat form? Um, so if I'm seeing that same sort of compensation, um, maybe I put like a, a box or something directly underneath their hips where it's just like sit down, um, stand back up. Sometimes I've seen that result in where we get like too hingy at times, but I think it's worth yeah, worthwhile try. at least try it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Like the old sit to stand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then you, like you said, you got to meet your patient where they are. Um, you just progress it mm-hmm. right? yeah. um, and, and try to get them get them better with that. Um, okay. So once you kind of move through that, or let's say you do have access to machines, you're going hack squat, anything else that you're like, Hey, let's, I think hack squat gives me the best. Um, and it's probably the most readily available, uh, like pendulum squat machines are similar in a way. Um, but I would say the majority of people or clinics probably don't have access to that machine. So, yeah. Yeah. And then how quickly, how quickly are you going to a bilateral squat pattern in this ACL population? Uh, regardless of like if their squat looks like crap or not. Yeah. Um, so I tend to be biased more towards unilateral or like unilateral stagger stance early on. Um, so initially I might use a bilateral squat early on just for like a transition to like tolerance to weight bearing and loading. But as soon as they have that tolerance, I want to try to get out of that as quickly as I can to more, uh, unilateral, exercises uh just because i can at least eliminate one avenue for compensation for um taking stress off the the quad um so typically once we get to like 80 90 percent quad lsi is when i start to have you know more of a 50 50 split with unilateral and bilateral exercises um how how are you measuring lsi and just tell us what that stands for um lsi is a limb symmetry index um and we're using the Tindec machine um, or the Tindec unit. and Also should be a sponsor of the pod. Yes, it should. I like to uh, test at 90 just in terms of creating torque to body weight ratios. It makes math a lot simpler. Um, so I'll use that. And typically uh, also I've seen that uh, if I have, let's say, 90% LSI at 60 degrees of knee flexion, I might have between 80 to 85% of limb symmetry at 90 um, so just kind of stressing the importance that typically our deficits in quad strength and deeper ranges of knee flexion tend to persist longer than those in shallower ranges of knee flexion. Hmm. Okay. Love that. Great tidbit. Um, here's what kills me. Mm-hmm. Not that you asked, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yeah. When when we bring in uh, candidates to, to work at True Sports, one of the things we do is we send them a case and we have mm-hmm. them work through the case and I'm the patient, whoever's interviewing was the patient. Did you go through this? Yep. I hope you did. Okay, good. So was your case an ACL case? Yep. Okay. So what kills me with the ACL case, because we see more ACLs than anything, um, is when just valuable minutes are spent trying to teach a squat to an er- a bilateral squat to an early post-op ACL. It's, it's never going to mm-hmm. look good. Your no. ass is always going to go over to the unaffected limb. Yep. It, it's such a waste. Yes. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
I'm right there with you. Like I said, it's just a transitional period. Um, as soon as they tolerate load, tolerate weight bearing, I'm snapping out of it immediately. We're going to progress to a you know split squat sort of position. I can adjust load uh, or like the distribution of weight between the the front leg and the back leg. Let's then progress to a Bulgarian split squat. Then let's progress to more of a true lateral yeah, movement. Yeah, live in there. And, and I would say even first go around, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help with tendon resiliency and accommodation and robustness if you can get them into a single leg wall set yep. as soon as possible yeah. i'm not saying to like blow their right. their btb up yeah. but <laughs> being really smart about that but stop coming in to interview mm-hmm. and teaching squat mechanic yeah. it's gonna look like trash so um okay good i'm glad i'm not wrong about that um okay so those are some of the ways that you're working through um, your quad dominant mm-hmm. movements in that strength session. You ready to go to our plyo world? Yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be awesome. Um, if there's if there's one thing us PTs could get better at, and learning from guys like you as a strength coach is this mm-hmm. plyo world, this rate of force development, mm-hmm. which I know you're gonna call RFD in like 26 <laughs> seconds, but I just like to spell those things out for people. Um, okay, so. Same training age. This is a great time. This four-month window. I le- Hopefully, we got there earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's say we didn't. Mm-hmm. Let's say they started PT elsewhere, mm-hmm. and we had to clean up some other stuff. We see pretty that common. a ton. Ugh, pretty common. Um, this is her plyo session. This is her first plyo session. Talk to me about how you're introducing mm-hmm. plyometrics to your novice training age. So, I'm thinking... I need to have a good idea of physics from this standpoint. So a uh, big thing I like to consider is the sense of the impulse momentum theory where impulse force times time, momentum, mass times volume, essentially impulse is going to result in a change in momentum. Impulse is going to change momentum. Momentum. Okay. Um, so let's Sounds say, simple. let's say I have them do a, a drop from either a six inch or a 12 inch box. Um, I know that that drop is going to result in a specific velocity that they end up having to stop once they hit the ground. Put the brakes on. Um, now, so I know with the time component, essentially the, the momentum is going to stay the same regardless of the situation. So now it's just manipulating the variables on the other side of the equation, which is going to be force and time. So initially I'm going to cue them to have a softer landing because I think that's going to result in probably a little bit longer contact times. I'm going to help disperse the force uh, a little bit more, so we're going to have less peak force, um, which might be a better way to start um, and kind of get them acclimated to some of those impacts and collisions as we're introducing plyometrics. I love that. Now, this is, so we're talking to your novice, mm-hmm. right? How do you tell Lucy, the 16-year-old girl who's never been mm-hmm. in a gym until four months ago, mm-hmm. th- that this is going to be the movement? How do you teach that? Um, so we're probably starting with snap downs. Um, Essentially, it's just doing a squat, but we're dropping into that squat in a fast, uh, in a fast way. Um, then we progress to staying on our tippy toes, dropping down fast. Um, once we kind of get there, then all right, maybe we have some sort of like low platform we step off of. Um, essentially, if we kind of have that squat kinematics built in, essentially, it's just uh, landing in that position in a faster movement velocity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that that really simplifies it. One of the main limiting factors here is handling that anterior translation Mm -hmm. of the knee, especially in this BTB population, Mm -hmm. right? So that shin angle, Mm -hmm. and that's why I like introducing, pushing that shin angle early, Mm -hmm. right? And cueing that and and giving them targets 
to hit with that yep. knee as they come down mm-hmm. um, because it's just going to prep him for this. This yep. is like such a pivotal moment mm-hmm. in their rehab. Number one, celebrating the successes yep. in there. Even, even if it doesn't look awesome, mm-hmm. like pick out the positives there, I think is so beneficial, especially to your 16 year old um, athlete. Um, and, and two is like, what have we done to prep towards mm-hmm. that? Like you gotta look from the beginning and say, that's a movement I want. How do I prep the athlete mm-hmm. to do yep. that? Um, so I think that's just something that, that we kind of glossed over. So, okay, now are you starting with depth, um, a depth drop? Uh, day one, I've- Day one. No. You said you did your snap downs. Okay, we done snap downs. Um, I like to do, uh, the, the six inch or like dropping off of like some like small shallow platform. Um, just, we take the jumping component out of it. Let's just focus on landing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, does it mean later in the session we may not, or does it mean later in the session that we won't end up using maybe like a seated box jump or something, um, to then work on more of our rate of force development. Um, but landing on the box, we can decrease the ground reaction forces that we have to land on. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and that's one of the things that um, I learned from really your outstanding podcast um, called Residents of the Roundtable Podcast. Residents of the Roundtable Podcast. There's so much great information there, but one of the things that was highlighted recently was the fact that we can't just live with one given metric or one given goal or one given theme with it. We need to make sure that we're attacking strength. We're attacking rate of force development. We're attacking hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, those have to be happening mm-hmm. symbiotically, yep. concomitantly yep. together. Yep. Something like that. Concurrently. Right? Um, currently. <laughs> yes. Concurrently. Yeah. Concurrently. Um, and, and I think that's, what's going to allow your, your athlete to reach the milestones that we want. If we just wait, for hypertrophy or, or one given value, we're in, we're in really big trouble. Mm-hmm. We're going to yep. kind of be behind mm-hmm. the eight ball. Um, that, that's one of the things that I, that I recently spoke about. We, we had an athlete working with us uh, before he went back to his NFL team. Mm-hmm. And so he was with us for five months, ACL, meniscal repair, ALL. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dude was relentless, would come in daily um, to work th- to work and, and just rehab and so when he got back to his club he saw guys where their programming wasn't mm-hmm. this focus of concurrent progression mm-hmm. it was here are the milestones yep. here's what we got and and they're behind yep right and and so being able to like drag your athlete along understand that there will be symptoms how do we mitigate those how do we progress through yep. those is is super important okay that was a long digression um, but coming back to, to our plyo education, if that's the way you're dealing with the novice, does it change with someone who has a little bit more expertise? Um, we can probably progress them a little bit quicker through some of the, the heights that we end up using. I'm still gonna be mindful just because they've, you know, haven't quite, or they've lost a little bit of some of that tolerance to some of those impacts and collisions and high forces. Um, but I can likely progress them through the, the heights of the boxes quicker, probably transition them to landing in a unilateral stance quicker as well. Um, so those are just some of the considerations that I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, does it does it change um, your dosing? Are you doing more reps with one versus the other? Uh, it depends. Like if I have like the same height um, with two of the same individuals but different training ages, I'll probably dose the person with a higher training age with more volume. Um, but if I end up, let's say, the the novice has the six inch box and the 
uh, the one who's been training for five years has the 12 inch box. I might probably dose them pretty similarly. Okay. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Now, where do you go from there? Um, we can go a bunch of different directions, whether we start to, uh, incorporate different planes of motion, whether that's like frontal plane, uh, eventually getting into transverse plane, uh, bilateral to single lateral, um, whether we start adding like some job or some jumps on top of that, where it's like, are right, we pause for a brief second or two jump? Um, so essentially we have multiple different avenues that we can go. Um, I don't necessarily think one is right or wrong. Yeah. Walk me down that last avenue. Cause I think that's a really interesting one. The, the jump pause. So yeah, I think I'm thinking like in terms of like true plyometrics, like those ground reaction forces are gonna be pretty high. Um, so as we're still continuing to build up our tolerance to some of those like more intense variations, uh, just one way to kind of help mitigate ground reaction forces, um, disperse some of the forces just to have them pause at the bottom of that jump or pause at the bottom of the land mm-hmm. and then go up and jump after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, that's a great way to do that. Educate us on joint excursions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I'll go like long coupled versus short coupled po- or uh, plyometrics. What the hell does that mean? It's, it sounds genius, yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> so I'm thinking uh, long coupled, going to be a little bit longer, or larger joint excursions, um, a little bit longer ground contact times, um, whereas short coupled going to be a little bit more uh, less joint excursion and uh, shorter ground contact times. Uh, I'm thinking longer or the long coupled pogos or uh, plyometrics earlier on um, just to kind of help with dispersing force more. Um, whereas as we get closer to returning to sport, I'm thinking more towards the short coupled plyometrics, um, as we're going to need to be able to redirect force, uh, pretty quickly and very rapidly. That's gold. Like that last minute Mm -hmm. is gold in terms of understanding return to sport, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of grading Mm -hmm. your plyo program, where do you get that information? Uh, so part of it was the podcast with Joey and Robert with the uh, residents of the round table. Um, but I think also understanding like what qualities are needed to succeed in sport. Um, like imagine if all we cue, or like if we look at a football player making a cut, if all I did was work on like soft landing, having those long or longer ground contact times, like the defender they're trying to evade, like it's not going to happen. Yeah. You can blow them up. Yep. So typically the best athletes who we see can redirect force quickly um so i need them to be able to stick that and get out of it um which is not to say that having some softer like landing stuff later on is detrimental but i think we definitely need to shift more of our folks a bit more towards like sticking the landing and having more of those quicker ground contact times to be able to redirect force quickly and rapidly yeah and and, uh, i mean the truth is you use the term stick the landing Mm -hmm. when i say stick the landing a lot of times i mean stay in that position Mm -hmm. right <clears throat> land softly. Yeah. So uh, I would just use it differently. But I, I think eight years ago when I was teaching plyometrics mm-hmm. and boxing, it was all about soft landing. Yeah. And then you start to look at your athlete, you're like, where does that even mm-hmm. show up? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you're giving a great explanation of when we say, I want you to drive down into the ground, produce mm-hmm. force in a different mm-hmm. direction. Now you're getting more sports specific. And so there is room mm-hmm. for the soft landing or mm-hmm. in my vernacular stick the landing, yeah. but it should be progressed mm-hmm. to drive through that yeah. box, try to put a hole in that mm-hmm. box. Um, and then I would almost go through my teaching process, uh, my progression process 
again mm-hmm. when we graduate yeah. from the the longer mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and, and the deeper angles perhaps yep. go back to two legs mm-hmm. one leg multiple planes yep. stuff like that now you're really getting your athlete um accommodated mm-hmm. to those things it, it's really amazing uh, the first time i really saw this in action was working with nba guys mm-hmm. they I hate to typecast and generalize. They can't squat to 90, yeah, yeah. right? They're just so tall. Mm-hmm. You look at the defensive back. The most athletic person I have ever worked with um, was a guy, his last name's White, wide receiver. He couldn't put his heels on the ground when he walked into the clinic. I don't think his heels have ever touched the ground. And so his Achilles tendon is just so goddamn yep. tall. And he's living in this anterior mm-hmm. pelvic tilt. And his, he came in for back pain. Right, but because like he's so arched. But my point is, if I asked him to land softly, he he couldn't do Mm -hmm. it. And so, what does that translate to? The most explosive Mm -hmm. athlete I've ever seen. The dude literally stood in front of me and just popped into a Mm -hmm. a backflip. Yeah, because he was just like a taut rubber Mm -hmm. band. So, see where you use the term archetype. See where your what your athlete. What's he working Mm -hmm. with? What does he need? What does his sport demand? And then start to build mm-hmm. your program around yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so. I think it's really exciting. I think what fascinates me is that dude to be built like that to compete at that level. Um, the same sport, the same team, the same training age. Mm-hmm. You look at the linemen. Yeah, a lot of them don't look like that. No, um, and, and so they are built to absorb very mm-hmm. often. That's what they do yeah. for a living. Often, not always, but often. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure if, if I'm a strength coach, I'm tr- I might be thinking, how do I fill in the gap, yep. right? Yep. How do I train him mm-hmm. to be more explosive or, or mm-hmm. give him more pop? Yeah. Um, you know what's really crazy is when you see the athlete that can do both. Yeah. And that is like uh, that's – those are your pitchers. Yeah. Um, those are your major league pitchers. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Um, although – Sam Cook was a punter for the Ravens. Yeah. That dude could do both. It's crazy. Sneaky. Yeah. Sneaky. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's obviously I'm still fascinated mm-hmm. by that and um got passion towards that. So um super interesting. Okay. Anything else you wanted to hit on that plyometric progression? I think that was so enlightening to to me. And I've been no, doing I, this for a bit. I think those are some of like the kind of overarching principles in terms of things to consider when, you know, reintroducing and then subsequently progressing plyometrics yeah so so beautifully i might add you hit your posterior chain loading concept in these two different populations your anterior chain or your quad specific quad dominant movements and now your plyometrics Mm -hmm. um i think that's such a well-rounded look at where this acl rehab should be where Mm -hmm. a session should be um i'm just uber impressed that you we talk about training ages Mm -hmm. how good you are at this at how many years out of school uh, two, essentially. Two freaking More, years yeah. out of school. Uh, we're lucky to have you yeah. here at True Sports Race. That's incredible. Um, you have an incredible future ahead of you. Educate those listening on one secret that lowered your learning curve to get to where you are now. Um, so I think the the biggest thing is, you know, I think working with people as a personal trainer, as a strength and conditioning coach, um, working out yourself, I think it shows you ways in which to program different strategies to use. Um, like I think the biggest 
uh, benefit for me has been like as I've gone through programming for the baseball and softball teams, um, like the first year, I think I had like 14 exercises they would do. Like it was overkill. And then, you know, next year it's like, all right, what seems like it's, uh, overly redundant? Let's take some of this stuff out. All right, now we're pared down to 12 exercises. And essentially that list kind of kept getting shorter and shorter. Um, but some of the different qualities we're hitting was kind of growing larger and larger. So um, I wasn't fully or solely focusing on strength for, you know, four to six weeks. It was, all right, maybe strength is kind of the primary goal that I want to achieve. But um, some of my secondary goals are rate of force development, some of those things. Um, so we're still getting a little bit of everything. We're probably going to improve across the board on all uh, um, different qualities. But strength is probably going to be the thing I'm going to see the largest jump in. Um, that's awesome. That's great advice. I think what I just heard is there's true genius in brevity, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and the more you can peel away, I mean, here you got 45 minutes, one on one. A lot of clinics you would kill for 45 yeah. minutes. Oh, yeah. and, and so, like, how do you get to the point? Best bang for your buck. Um, and how do you get that patient to help you? Um, but but for you, it was a few years of mm-hmm. trying to understand, like, how do I peel away yeah. that which is extraneous? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, and, and so you did it as a personal trainer. You were a strength coach. We were talking before we hit record on how readily accessible this information mm-hmm. just is now. Mm-hmm. And so tell me who who you follow that you think is a worthwhile follow. Uh, one, True Sports. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Two, yeah. uh, myself. There you follow yourself. <laughs> um, okay. uh, no, but I think... Uh, um, one, Jordan Shallow, uh, the muscle doc, he's a great person to uh, learn in terms of... Nice uh, guy, too. Yeah, just a overall but, good... But really nice guy. Framework. And a monster. Yes. But nice guy. Yes. By the way, this ties into our previous pod. Mm-hmm. Dude's a Cairo. Yes. But it's like... But adding the strength and conditioning to whatever the hell you mm-hmm. do is worthwhile. But okay, muscle doc. Um, I think Grant Fowler, he's another good one. Uh, I think he's like... Fowler Fitness, SPT. Um, no, he's not a, a student physical therapist. I would have harassed him to work here already if he was. Um, but no, he has a great framework, continues to kind of challenge traditional dogma within strength conditioning. Um, uh, so I think he's also a really good follow as well. Awesome. Um, th- that's great. Uh, I mean, just a, a wealth of a wealth of information. So, Race Hauser, thanks so much for your time. It's time now mm-hmm. for our lightning round. Yep. Uh oh. Ready? Ready. What book, not science or strength and conditioning related, are you currently in the middle of? Uh <laughs> so I just started it. Um and by lightning round I meant Lightning. Lightning. <laughs> um oh my gosh, why am I I'm blanking on the name of the book right now. We're oh going to edit this out. Just, we're going to put your answer right in. No, I'm um, just kidding. What, what's it about? You got to Google it? What? I'm going to have to Google it. It's been, oh, uh, uh, if this is a man by Lino, Limo Previ. Primo Levi. Yeah, Primo Levi. There yes. we go. Um, uh, essentially, it's about, uh, I believe, Nazis and internment camps during uh, World War II. Dude, are you just saying that because I'm wearing a yarmulke? No. Okay. No, uh, Jordan Shallow, he was the one who, uh, People had asked him what book he would recommend reading, and I saw that, and I was like, sweet, let me uh, pick it up. So Awesome. Okay, my recommendation is immediately following that. If yeah. you can stomach any more Nazi crap, yeah. would be uh, Man's Search for Meaning. You read that yet? Yeah. Did you read that yet, Man's Search for Meaning? 
No, I'm not. Oh, not oh, that oh, one, no. Victor Frankel. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, okay, great. Next question. Ready? Ready. What do you wish strength coaches were better at? Uh, this is going to be kind of uh, tiptoeing a fine line, but I think it's understanding uh, that they are not physical therapists. Like they should be able to modify things when things are painful. Um, but I think the issue starts running to like when they start trying to like fix and manage things um, like as if they're trying to treat the patient and uh, essentially treat their pain. I think that's where kind of the buck stops is, you know, they have knee pain. Um, let's say they're doing uh, a front squat. All right, let's modify to a back squat, see if that helps. Um, if we're still having pain with X, Y, and Z with all these modifications, all right. Um, I think that's when they should have like a good network of PTs who they trust, who they can be like, all right, go see this person. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, good answer. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were 20? Um, I would say it was just, it'd be a, a framework in which to view movement exercises from to be able to categorize um, and then be able to like plug and play interventions that are going to give me essentially the best sort of uh, stimulus for the adaptation I want to achieve. More tools. Mm -hmm. Because you see a lot of stuff that's all fluff um, that looks cool, but uh, in terms of trying to achieve the desired adaptation, it's like we think it does, but if we look at it uh, and dig a little bit deeper, it's like it probably doesn't do what we're thinking it does. Okay. What would you say is the number one predictor of academic success in physical therapy training? Oh my gosh, that's a loaded question. Um, I think it is honestly come down or comes down to the personality of the individual. Um, Like for me, I'm kind of a perfectionist. um, So, and I'm very competitive as well. So, uh, you know, I want to get good grades not only to like, compete against myself but you know i want to be the alpha in the class mm-hmm. um so i would say that's probably where that stems from and then i uh my girlfriend's gonna love this but i hate when we have like a debate she's gonna or, listen uh hopefully she does okay. she probably will because i'm so. on it yes yes uh, <laughs> um, not, not because of the usual content but go ahead she's a cute pt so oh okay um but no we'll be having like a conversation and kind of debate about a couple things and i hate it when she like makes a point where it's like yeah you're right okay fair um i love that um okay and what is better about the east coast than the west coast um i would say everything being so close together is one like new york's three hours away philly's hour and a half dc's an hour dude this is a commercial for people to join (laughs) true sports i love that okay i was gonna say from a, a physical therapy perspective um it seems like sports more sports and clinics are more prevalent out here than the West Coast. Um, I'm sure, like, once you get down towards, like, Cali and Arizona, that probably changes a little bit. Um, but by far, it seems like, especially around here, sports clinics are much more prevalent. Yep, yep, for sure. I think that's true. Um, race, super eye-opening. I, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your attention to detail. Um, you've been awesome for the company, you've been awesome for my own clinical mm-hmm. growth. So um, I'm not just saying that because you look like me. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate um, everything you've brought. Um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the front squat doc. Um, I'm on Twitter, but not very active. So Instagram is my primary platform. And then also uh, 
go give uh, the residents of the Roundtable podcast a listen as well. Yeah, it's, re- it's really gold. So appreciate your time. Can't wait to continue to learn from you. Appreciate it, Yoni. Thanks, as always, I'm going to ask you for a favor. Please listen, learn, and share our content. And leave us a five-star review wherever you consume your true sports pod. That little act of kindness will go a very long way to helping us and helping our profession. You can reach out directly to me with feedback on the pod, what you loved, what you didn't love, and who you want to hear from. Also, if you want to join our team of outstanding sports PTs, shoot me a DM on Instagram at TrueSportsPT or email me directly, Yoni, Y-O-N-I, at TrueSportsPT.com. Because after all, this is what sports rehab should be. Look forward to hearing from you all soon.